You're listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum focused and dedicated 100% to sales development. If you care about growing your skills and getting more new sales appointments, pipeline, and closed one deals, you came to the right place. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, iTunes, or Spreaker, and be sure to go back and listen to all the episodes for the best strategies, tips, and tactics out there on running a high-performance sales development program. And now, your host, founder, and CEO of TenBound at TenBound.com, David Delaney. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I am honored. I actually have a, a industry analyst on the show, which is amazing that we have this in sales development, which is awesome. I have Mr. Dan Gottlieb, sales development analyst with Topo. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing excellent. I'm thrilled to be here. And thank you for the introduction. No, I am, I'm thrilled to have you on. I mean, I think in the sales development world, it's a lot of, you know, clickbait articles and, and, you know, us trying to like wing it most of the time. And just to have someone with your expertise is, is awesome. So thanks for coming on. And, you know, if folks aren't familiar with, with Dan and the work you're doing over there, how'd you get into it? And what are you working on now? Absolutely. How did I get into into this? I so before I started working at Topo, I was an independently employed sales development consultant, right? How do we take the activities that marketing is running and how do we partner with sales development to turn those into great meetings for sales? And before that, I was basically running similar programs in-house at different companies and before that I carried a book myself. You know, I sold kitchen knives, media, software, right? Time, you name it. And uh, you know what I what I got into and what I got into about this work was I just found that and felt like that you know a lot of the content out there that was designed to help you do your job wasn't really rooted in the reality that a lot of sales development leaders face today in terms of politics, budget, what you're being asked to do, the tools that you have, and so you know what gravitated me towards this role was a couple of variables. Right, one is that sales development is this is this extremely challenging job, but it's also this awesome opportunity to welcome young people into the workforce, right? Very intelligent young people and, and that are often completely underutilized and just seen as a meeting booker. And so how do you, how do you help a company see the value in developing these people and also getting them to be productive in a repeatable way? I found that challenge to be extremely exciting. And uh, that's kind of how I got into this work today. And so, you know, with Topo, right, we're a research analysis and consulting firm. And so what I'm working on right now and is in addition to supporting our, our clients uh, are a couple of research projects around a 2018-2019 sales development benchmark report. Um, we just recently published a re- some research about sales engagement. And I'm working on some exciting projects with clients that kind of run the gamut between, you know, structural onboarding, sales development, overall playbook implementation, and uh, working with folks at all levels around how should we be thinking about welcoming new people into our our business through sales development. So it's an exciting role. It's an exciting time for sales development because the value it brings to the table is inarguable. And being, you know, as a, a kind of in the middle of it all as a as a researcher and an analyst and just trying to understand what works, I find that there are some extremely intelligent people out there to learn from. So it's, it's a fun time to be in this job. 
Oh man, this is this is great. I, I'm really excited to have you on the show and someone that shares a passion for this. And I'm sure everyone listening, you know, is super interested in learning more about how you do your job and and the way that uh, you gather, you know, the research to help you know push the industry forward. When you're when you're setting up one of these you know benchmark reports, how do you go about finding out you know what are the best practices out there in the industry? Yeah, yeah, great question. So first and foremost, you have to be an exceptional listener, right? Listening to what are your pro to the problems and what are the different ways folks are addressing those problems. And you know, the reality is that a lot of the problems are the same, right? Uh, we need to improve our conversion rates. We need to ramp faster. We need to be more consistent with our messaging and we need to improve our messaging and we need to get better at being on the phone, right? There's There's some really common things. And other challenges that often arise and more strategically are, you know, around sales qualified lead definitions. This is the right definition, right? Yes. Org design. Are we really structuring our team based on the way that we're actually interacting with the market? And so first and foremost, you just have to be an exceptional listener and, and pay attention to the common problems that you have. And then just try to be a facilitator of information where you've seen those problems be addressed in other places, Right. I'm gonna give you an example. We have a client who is, you know, they, they they came in and they asked us to help look at where where can we improve, right? And they're asking us to look at messaging. They're asking us to look at all of the day to day activities of an SDR. But when we kind of peeked under the under the hood a little bit, what we saw was that well, reps are actually just setting up highly qualified meetings, but they're being compensated on whether they turn into opportunities or not. And so there was actually some cultural challenges that were coming with that. And no one really wanted to talk about it at that business. So in that setting, we kind of helped the, the, the CRO and the VP of both sales and sales development better understand how if you just be more realistic with how you're setting expectations for the job, that actually might have an impact on the way that everyone's working together. It's, you know, so it's examples like that, right, where you're just paying attention and trying to help point out where what might work for this company could work in this other company in this specific scenario. You know, how we gather research is both by being intentional about going out, meeting with people, asking questions, both clients and non-clients alike, meeting with vendors, talking with vendors about what are the problems that you're solving for. Tell me about your clients and the actual problems that you're solving and how happy they are and what are you working through. And then as well, we have more traditional research practices. So we have a benchmark report where we use a survey to collect information. And then based on some of the responses in those surveys, we might go follow up with some of those leaders to ask some follow-up questions about what's working and what they're doing differently. You know, I don't pretend to be an expert and that I have all the answers. I will say that I, I, where my expertise comes in is that I can help you understand how someone else is solving that problem. And uh, that's really important to, to understand about what we do, right, is we're, we're just listeners and we're rebounders. Yes. And, and so it sounds like it starts with really understanding what are the major problems out there in the sales development industry. And it's like you start by gathering all those problems and then, and then you start to, through the surveys and through talking to people, you figure out, you know, what are the, some of the solutions that are, people are using out in the industry that you could potentially pull into a report that's useful? Yes, absolutely. And not just useful, but actionable, right? 
How do I take what I'm learning and go do something differently? How do I take what I'm learning about our sales qualified lead definition and go assess our sales qualified lead definition, right? How do I take our value prop structure and go assess our value prop against perhaps something that's a little bit more easy to repeat? There, those are common examples. That, yeah, that it, it seems like, you know, everyone's, everyone's situation is, is unique, obviously. Unique markets, unique people, unique, mm-hmm. um, you know, funding and things like that but there are overall trends you know that that you see are there two or three problems that you're hearing out there in your research you mentioned a couple and maybe we can go into a few of those are there two or three problems that just keep coming up they're like the sticky sales development problems that people are just really struggling to solve yeah yeah this is great definitely so i'd say as far as more Let's focus on a couple of problems that are, are probably SDR managers are facing every day with reps, right? Yeah. And because I think those are, those are common ones. So one of those problems is, in particular, the consistent execution of touch patterns, right? How do I consistently engage a prospect in a, in a touch pattern using my sales engagement technology, right? And then how do I consistently execute against that? And how do I make sure I'm putting the right person in the right touch pattern? If I'm reaching out to somebody that is a good persona at a high value priority account versus someone that's in a lower priority account, right? And am I, how do I do that consistently and manage my time effectively? Those are very common problems that we see everywhere. And often the solution is, is uh, let's just buy some software so that folks can, let's buy some sales engagement software so that folks can, can be more automated. And I think that that can be the solution and it is an extremely effective solution when done methodically. But what it, when not done methodically, when not implemented with, with um, a truly prescriptive approach to how reps should be using those tools, it creates a whole other layer of problems, right? So that's one example. Another example is consistent messaging, right? How do I stay conversational on the phone as an SDR? And also add value in a way that is sounds like I know what I'm talking about, that is also human. I don't just sort of regurgitate what I've been told to say, right? How do I get comfortable on the phone? And that's a problem that, that we see commonly uh, for a number of reasons. One, they're, they've built a dependence on email and they can, they're, they're relying on email. Two, the call structure that they've been given is pretty limited. So the training that they have to be on the phone is not it's not prescriptive and specific enough. It's more like, here's a couple of scripts that may have worked for a few people a couple of years ago. You figure it out, right? Uh, and we see that often. And then a third challenge that we often see is, how do you help me evolve as a, as a professional, right? Uh, and this is a big strategic problem that we see in a lot of companies is, how do I keep talent without having to just promote them? How do I keep getting you better at your job? How do I continuously engage you at getting better as opposed to um, what's happening often today where reps are, are doing a pretty good job as SDRs and they're looking for some more guidance and, and companies aren't, they just don't have the places to move them or promote them. And so therefore they lose them because they move on to new opportunities, right? How do I as a business engage my SDR and help them develop? And to me, that is one of the most low-hanging fruit opportunities to keep talent that companies can take advantage of. Okay. All right. So we've got three big ones. I, I, that is super interesting. I want to go back to that, but let's, let's unpack these a little bit. So the consistent touch patterns, right? Yeah. And making sure that everyone's using a consistent touch pattern. The, the, the usual solution is, well, let's plug in one of the 
engagement vendors and, mm-hmm. and but it, it's still it's still a struggle because I think we've all been on the other end of a cadence that you're just like it either goes to your spam folder or it's irrelevant messaging that that doesn't you know make you want to do anything right so how how do they how do you think that they should approach consistent touch patterns great question i think that you approach consistent touch patterns by being specific about the kinds of people and accounts and prescriptive about the kind of touch pattern that you're putting them in. So let me give you an example. What not to do is create 15 different, 25, 30 different cadences and say, perfectly, right? Here is your uh, VP of blank persona cadence or sequence or, or touch pattern or whatever. Here is your, you know, director of touch pattern, right? Okay. At, for this persona. You don't just don't overwhelm it. Keep it simple. So an example of a simple touch pattern would be let's have a high touch call heavy touch pattern. Let's have a high touch, not you know, balanced touch pattern. Let's have a, a semi-custom high touch touch pattern. And then prescribe the different personas that you reach out to and the different scenarios to those touch patterns. So you've really only got, you know, five to seven core different touch patterns that you're training on to use. And therefore, as a manager, what you're expecting reps to do is put them into those touch patterns. Now, as far as the copy that's in those touch patterns, this is where you get really straightforward and specific. You don't need to have every single word perfectly figured out. Instead, what you can include in those are prompts for reps so that they can tailor those messages. So for example, if I have a high touch, custom touch pattern, right? I'm only going to use those for a specific number of contacts in a given month. Meaning I am only going to put that amount of effort into a certain number of accounts and contacts at those accounts per month. And I know exactly which touch pattern I'm going to put those VPs into or those C's levels into, right? Okay. That's very prescriptive. Those are the those are the really high value people that you really, really want to talk to. So you put them into that touch pattern. Right. Try to get in front of them. Right. And then there's another layer of people that maybe aren't the exact people that you want to talk to, but they're important. So you put them into the next level. Exactly. And so the, in that scenario, let's say they're not as important, but they're still helpful. They're the manager, the director level folks that sales is willing to speak with but definitely doesn't always have a budget. And let's be honest, especially when you're moving up market, that's more often than not how we get into a big company or a bigger opportunity, right? So in those scenarios, you might have a high-touch, semi-custom touch pattern. And the semi-custom aspect of that touch pattern, right, is focusing on tailoring the first email to that persona, but then the follow-ups are really, could be automated. Some of those emails could be automated back to that custom first email. And then there's a lots of calling in between. And so why this is so helpful is because it can dramatically simplify what you're asking an SDR to do every day. An example of that would be your expectations for the morning 8.30 a.m. 
to 10 a.m. are to come in and work your highest priority tasks than your medium priority tasks. Then you take a 15 minute break. Then after that, we want you to add 15 new contacts into a touch pattern, new contacts from new accounts or new contacts from existing accounts that you're going after. That's a really simple directive for an SDR to manage. They're not having to think about, all right, picking out which touch pattern to put them into. They're not having to think about what should I be doing right now? And often those are two very distracting variables for an SDR, right? It's all laid out. And, and so, and th- so they, they don't, so what you're seeing is th- there's either no kind of rhyme or reason to the touch patterns. Like it's just kind of all over the place and five different people are using five different things, or there's too many persona based touch patterns that are too specific to persona. And, and what you're saying is let's find a happy medium between those, which is, you know, this is for the high level people, this is for middle, this is for everybody else, and then plug those in based on the persona that you're going after. Absolutely. And this works really well when you are bringing on new SDRs because it keeps it super simple. Yeah. And then they know exactly what they need to be doing and where they come in with the creativity is, so, so, okay, so let's go to the next one, which is consistent messaging. So, right. you know, you have, say you have five people, they're all very creative, they're all doing different things, they're getting different results, but you have them plugged into this, you know, touch pattern program. And so now we're asking them to be creative and do something different. How do you get them to do consistent messaging, but yet still be creative? Great question. This is where you have to, you have a common structure for how each touch looks. For example, we have a framework that we recommend where you need to do a little bit of research. You need to create context, convey value, and deliver your offer. And as an SDR, every touch should have something along those lines. An example of that might be, let's say I'm following up and halfway through a touch pattern, right? Create context. I'm reaching out to follow up about the voicemail I left you yesterday, right? convey value. I want to talk to you about this use case that we've helped this client solve for that's similar to yours, right? Um, That's persona-based. Deliver the offer. Would you like to set up a a 20-minute conversation to walk through that next week at three o'clock? Or are you available at three o'clock next week to talk through that use case, right? When you're being creative, what you can do is and be experimental in both the order of your touches and some of the prompts. So let's say a rep shows up and there's a, uh, you know, a fourth touch in a touch pattern. And the email, when I'm looking at the template, the template might have in brackets, insert, right, relevant problem statement or use case about that this persona faces. That way I can have multiple different personas in the same touch pattern, but the rep just has to put in a single sentence. What they're not doing is figuring out what kind of touch should I do. Is it an email? Should I touch them? So, you know, social? Should I, should I call them? It's an email. And within that, right, we've already got the structure of the email laid out, but we've given them a prompt to react to. Got it. And that's how they, they, they need to come up with the context. Yeah. That, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. There's an SDR leader out there who is kicking butt. And uh, I love watching this person work. And what they do is they even keep it simpler. They have their reps work on crafting an incredibly relevant first email, first two sentences. But then when they call in, their, in the call prompts, they tell the rep in the call prompts, 
use the first two sentences in your first email as the purpose of your call. So they're, you're literally leaving breadcrumb directions for them in the touch pattern to follow. But those breadcrumb directions are still enabling the creativity of the, of the SDR. Interesting. Okay. So, so within their, their engagement software, they can bring up the last email that they sent and you know, read the context work that they did. And then they use that as the opener for when they call. Exactly. Yeah. And, and to, yes. And so think about how simple that is for the SDR, yeah. right? The consistency of the messaging is that I need you to be delivering a value prop that's aligned to that persona. And then I taught you how to create those value props and you're going to write them and I'm going to give you feedback on them over time. Right? So there's some enabling on that part of letting the rep create their own message or their own flavor of the same message. And in certain scenarios, if you say, hey, and if you don't want to create this on your own, great. We've already included snippets for this inside of our product, right? So there's uh, inside of all of these sales engagement technologies is tools that you can just basically take paragraphs and insert them in. And so you might put in the prompts like, you know, either write one or select this prompt from our list. And that way, all the rep is doing is just navigating to the messaging to, to drop it in. So a lot of that, 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 you know, heavy research and that the takes forever is kind of automated so that they can just bring in the, you know, the human element that they bring to the table. Yeah. I've got a client who's basically their marketing team put in some really strong, heavy hitting, short persona challenge and benefit statements. And so they'll say like, all right, persona challenge benefit one, two, and three. And those are sort of in those small uh, snippet areas, if you will. Right. And then when a rep is going through that touch pattern, that touch pattern is structured to say, uh, insert persona challenge one. Mm, Okay. Right. And so all they have to do is just navigate to persona challenge one and put in the content. And the benefit of this is that you can track as a, as a leadership team, you can track the, the consistency and the messaging. So the consistency, meaning the, uh, are they executing the tasks on time? Are they making the calls within the hours and within the days that the tasks were assigned to? And um, the consistency of the structure of the touch pattern versus the messaging. So this approach allows you to A-B test a little bit too. Yes, yes. It's more of a, you know, setting up a well-oiled machine. Whereas in the past, it was just all over the place. You had no idea, you know, what they were doing. Let me ask you this. Okay, so we got the context. I just want to ask you one more thing about the messaging. So we got the context, the value, and then the offer. Now, you mentioned the offer would be to set up a call. But when I think of an offer, it's like, give me something, you know, you know, give me some kind of value or like something beyond a phone call. Because I get a lot of messages every day where they're like, Hey, we do this. Will you give me 15 minutes on a phone call? I'm just like, I, you don't, haven't shown me anything. Like, why would I want to spend 15 minutes with you? you know? Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, look, I think that the, uh, the death by a thousand emails is a very real fate for, for a lot of SDRs that haven't really thought about what does convey value mean and conveying value and delivering the offer in our opinion and in our point of view is that you need to connect what you might be offering to the problems that that person might be facing, 
right? So the, okay. the value that you're offering is, hey, look, we've helped other people in your job address problem A. And in some cases, it's led to this benefit. If this is a problem that you're facing, let's set up a call to talk through that use case, right? Yes. So it's all about framing. Delivering the offer to set up the call just to learn about your product isn't exactly a valuable offer. Setting up a, being, offering to set up a call to talk about a problem that, that you have and how we've helped other people solve it is an insightful reason to take a call. Got it. And then, and so, you know, say they, they don't have that particular problem. As part of your touch pattern, do you lay up like three or four different problems or do you just stick with that one problem? How do you view that? Yeah. So throughout a touch pattern, right? Yeah. Uh, we definitely recommend having multiple problems that you're lead, alluding back to, especially okay. if you're just cold outbound. Right. Ending, because right? One no one's ever had a reason to pick up the phone. Now one let's of them might might hit, right? Mm-hmm. They might hit that one problem. Yes, I do have that problem. Let's talk. Okay. Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I mean, you know, the follow up. So sort of the second, the, hey, did you get this? The like, hey, I'm just putting this back on top of your inbox play. That's a really high converting from our research, as well as the final touch of a touch pattern where, hey, uh, you know, I haven't heard from you. We laid this out and I, and I will respect your privacy and won't reach back out again. Those are really high converting pieces because essentially you're running your own mini drip campaign. And this is, again, we're talking cold outbound. Now, I will say, right, what we've seen be super effective is using these sales engagement tools to have a different sequence of touches in outbound account-based and inbound follow-up or meeting no-show follow-up or getting referred to somebody within the business as well, right? So the, the way that you're approaching those different scenarios is a little bit different and you have a different touch pattern for that. And that's what I mean by having a prescriptive and simple touch pattern. In fact, in some places, right, we'll see dispositions of contact or lead statuses be directly aligned to touch patterns. So, for example, if a rep comes in and there's a, um, you know, entered into nurture, a, a prospect replies back, please reach out to me in a month, right? They'll launch them into like a you know, low touch follow up touch pattern. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, it, it's, it just makes me think like there's, there's co- sort of parallel, I'm going to go off on a little, little rat hole. Or whatever let's do it. There's we a let's parallel do it. pattern of you've got your sales engagement platforms that are being run by the SDR manager and the SDR team. And then you have your marketing automation platforms, which is being run probably in a different building and a different state, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they're not necessarily in sync and, and not necessarily talking to each other. And it just, it, it always strikes me kind of weird that you could, you could be putting you know, people into this very intricate sales engagement flow based on the reaction that they get that's being run by an actual human being. But then in the background, there's this kind of like, uh, HTML email drip that's going out of a marketing automation platform. And I don't know what point I'm trying to make, but it does seem weird that, that there's these two systems that have evolved in parallel. Yeah. You know what this, it, it, it had, they have, they've evolved in parallel, different buying centers, different places. And, and we're seeing a number of marketing leaders, demand gen leaders, account-based marketing leaders, 
starting to really understand the power of sales engagement technology and setting up touch patterns for specific campaigns, right? So this is a great example. Instead of having a thousand different touch patterns, you might have one that just says, right, account-based campaign. And all the team is doing is helping provide the messaging, walk the SDR team through by saying, look, we've already put the messaging together for you for this specific event. Let's use Dreamforce as an example, or 10Bound, right? We already know that people are going to the 10 bound conference. We have the list. What we want to do is be methodical in how we target them. And so when marketing is getting involved in those touch patterns, right, and helping by, by providing some structure and some guidance around what they're going to be doing to support those touch patterns, what you've got there is account-based sales development, right, in a, in a very simple, overly simplified, orchestrated form. Right. Right. And so, and so just putting on your, your analyst hat as an industry analyst, is there, is there a future where these two systems somehow meld together and people just use one system? That's really hard to say. I, I think that there's, I think that what's, what's uh, the benefit of sales engagement is that basically uh, the CRM is really hard to use, right? And I am managing multiple channels of my job in one place, Right. I am, I am executing phone calls, sending emails, logging activities, updating contact statuses, updating account records. I am you know, set, scheduling meetings, et cetera. All of this is happening and coming out of my sales engagement product, right? The reason that those things are so successful, those products are so sticky is because they're, I'm, it's a single operating platform or console for all my activities uh, for the rep. And this, while they if they continue to say rep-centric, right? then I don't believe that that will be the case. But what will happen is what's already starting to happen now is that marketing is understanding that emails from people have higher open rates than emails from companies for the most part. And so as a result of that, they're partnering with sales development to take advantage of that and helping them schedule meetings. Is it possible for all these universes to hover around, to hover around a single product or hover around a, a single sort of sole place of communication. I think that's less important as uh, are we making sure that we are working together. And I think what you're seeing now is products that are designed, that are, that are sort of being layered on top of both sales engagement and marketing automation to help manage that. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so they're all revolving around the same people and that data is ultimately ending up in CRM. Right. So is there a world where they become one and the same? Well, if you think about what they're doing, they're already pretty similar in, in that. But there's a lot of differences in what the, the benefits that they offer to the end user. The marketing automation tool has a whole different series of value that it provides to the marketer. And the sales engagement platform, in terms of its usage and what it's designed for from a, like use, uh, from a UI standpoint, is all geared towards around the rep. And I don't think that those are going to change at all. Uh, I think what's going to change is where the data is flowing and the where the insights are showing up in terms of what tools and the, the additional tools that are appearing to help make the use of both of those investments more seamless. Interesting. Okay. One more analyst, uh, industry analyst thing, and then I got something else for you. So, uh, you know, it made me think Tout App was purchased by Marketo as you know sort of a consolidation of these things who buys sales loft and outreach mm. 
That's a great question. Okay, I, that's one for the ages. Yeah, yeah. So marketing automation might make sense, right? I think honestly, it's the data provide. It's 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 CRMs that could buy them, or or uh, anyone that's trying to build a, a CDP would make sense for those organizations. It's how do I how do I make sure that the data is flowing back into one place, right? That's where. That's the benefit of both of these tools, right? I mean, Adobe just bought Marketo. Yes. Okay. So let's dive into that a little bit. How do I make sure that the data is flowing back to the right place? So, so you've got people doing things on sales engagement. You've got people doing things on marketing automation. It's all going into the CRM. Tell me more about what you see as far as making sure that that's coordinated and happening correctly. I mean, this is this is hardcore operational plumbing here, right? Yeah. And you're trying to make sure that the contact records or the lead records are all flowing out of one place. I think it really makes you got to make sure that you understand how um, your go-to-market strategy is ultimately being reflected in the way that your database, your contact database, is structured, right? And then making sure that you have the right identifiers across all three systems, and having the authoritative identifiers across those systems, and then having some protocols in place to make sure that you're not entering dirty data. I mean, lean data as a business has just exploded to solve this problem. It has, it has. And do you ever, do you see people trying to do this without a designated sales operations person? Because I remember when I was running a sales development program, we got hardly any love from the sales ops guy he or gal. They were usually focused on doing territory plans and just, you know, giving reports to the VP of sales. But I mean, it seems like it's so scientific now. There's so much operational support needed. What do you see there? Yeah. So we've been seeing, we've been seeing this rise in customer operations as a role, right? Not sales and marketing ops, because those are two separate teams with two separate needs. We're really one centralized operations department called customer operations that really tries to simplify both the investments and as well as the, uh, the data flow between these disparate systems to make sure that they're working together. So that, that's been a huge sort of organizational shift that we're starting to see is this idea of customer operations that is uh, central as opposed to each individual team having operations. And if you think about it, you know, this whole concept of operations, sales ops, marketing ops evolved because we are making all these investments in all these systems and we just need somebody to sit here and make sure it works, right? And, and a lot of sales ops and marketing ops roles have kind of evolved into that. And so in smaller startups, yes, we do see sales development leaders having to figure this out on their own. And those folks end up that are interested in this uh, end up evolving into operations leaders as well. And, um, but in, a, in larger organizations and high growth organizations, we're seeing them solve for this by investing in a centralized customer ops team that has a larger view, that has more generalist expertise around data management that can help make sure that when we're making investments that they're pieced into our existing technologies appropriately. Got it. Okay. Customer ops. That's, I've heard business ops before, but not customer ops. So you heard it here first, folks. Dan <laughs> Gottlieb with Topo <laughs> talking about customer ops. That is really interesting. I think that is something to watch because you, you've, you cannot have all this plumbing and all this stuff going back and forth without someone watching it at all times. Right. Got to be synchronized. So a couple other questions for you, Dan. Help us evolve as a professional keeping talent. That was the third big problem yeah. that you saw out there. So 
how do we how do we keep people engaged? How do we keep people around in such a difficult job as sales development? Yeah, so I think the first one is being straightforward about what the job is like and basically brokering a deal and by communicating very clearly that if you give me a year, a year and a half in this job, right? I will give you in return an investment in the resources and helping you figure out what you want to get better at. You want to go on a sales track? Awesome, right? Give me six months. We'll start talking about what you can do on a sales track. You're not sure what you want to do? Awesome. We'll continue to have conversations. I'll push you to be more reflective about the skills that you're developing. And let's think about where that might fit in business. You want to go on a demand gen or a marketing track? By the way, we're seeing folks that in account base that are starting to see SDRs as a great feeder pipeline into those skills, right? Awesome. Yes. Give me six months. We'll start talking about what that, what that transition could look like over the next six months, right? And so you're, be, you're treating them not just like meeting, booking, or opportunity booking individuals. You're treating them like young people that are still figuring out what they want to do with their career. And if you take that approach and you're straightforward about it and you are you know, held account and hold yourself and them accountable to those commitments, you're going to get more return out of them as individuals, right? Because what often happens is they get into sales development because they're not sure what they want to do with their career. And it is so important to know that. They'll lie to you. They'll fake their way through to get hired. But they're sitting there across the table from you when you're saying, hey, why are your numbers so low? Or, or do you even care? And they're sitting there on their heads sometimes screaming, no, I, I want to figure out what I want to do with my career. And sitting here getting yelled at by you is not it. <laughs> and that is a reality that is just so prevalent in sales development. And so when you sort of take a different approach by, by offering career growth opportunities beyond just a pipeline to sales and don't overpromise that pipeline to sales. But if you are open and you are straightforward and you put effort into developing them, you'll get a better return out of them, right? And you won't be surprised if they leave because you've, you'll have helped them figure out what they want to do. And yes. we see companies that treat sales development as a feeder into the rest of the organization that are doing a great job of this. So that's, that's one important strategic structural approach. The second, all right, there's, I think there's four ways you can keep an SDR or the four things that they really care about. First one is obviously compensation, right? I'm getting paid. The second one is promotion. Number one, we can talk about that in a second. What's important is to make sure that they're being compensated on things that are in their control, right? Primarily. Obviously, we can talk about having skin in the game, getting compensated on pipeline versus uh, qualified opportunities versus qualified meetings, et cetera. But it's what's in their control and how does that change based on each go-to-market strategy? Because an inbound rep is different than a rep that's got only a named account list and is charged of setting up meetings within a named account list. Those are super different, right? So one, how am I compensated? Two, promotion. And we just talked a little bit about that. The third one is recognition. You'd be surprised. I get eye rolls a lot at this one, but it is so important to just sometimes make SDRs feel appreciated and valued by the business, not just by the manager, but by the business. I have one, I have one incredible SDR leader. She is so, she really understands the value of recognition and she organized SDR appreciation day. She constantly has sellers go out of their way to say, thank you right? She had the CEO record a video 
and say, you know, really just saying thank you to the SDRs, putting an effort into saying thank you and about their contributions to the business because it is such a grind can have a big impact in their ability to stay focused and motivated and want to keep working. And the last one difference and it doesn't cost anything. It doesn't, it doesn't cost. Yeah. The last one is super simple, having fun on the job. Now, what does fun on the job mean? It means being playful with the way that you are thinking about the afternoon or the day or the week. Give you an example. I have one person, she plays battleship. And so she'll say in a random afternoon, Hey guys, let's play battleship. First, this team, the U5 SDRs versus U5 SDRs. Whoever books first to 10 meetings, here's the battleship up on the board, right? And so whoever's booking meetings, they'll go up and they'll put a battle up and say, all right, I got you. Then the next afternoon or a week later, she might do something like, all right, most calls this afternoon, whoever makes the close calls this afternoon, it's got a $50 gift card, right? And that's fun. She's just constantly surprising them with different ways to compete every day. And she has such a bad problem that she's so good at this that her problem is that she has SDRs that didn't want to get promoted. They would stay at her job. for They would stay with her for like two years. She had one rep that was literally there for three years and turned down two different promotion opportunities internally because he really enjoyed working for her, right? Fun on the the job. Good problem to have. It it is. And And also fun on the job doesn't cost a thing, right? You can negotiate it in your SPIF budget by having just more small incremental victories. And these mini coaching, these mini opportunities are excellent for the middle and lower performers, right? Because it's a clear opportunity for them to to stand out, to ask for help, and then focus on applying those practices over these short sprints, right? And, you know, uh, that same manager that I was telling you about, sometimes she'll notice a gap across the team or she'll notice a gap across two or three reps and she'll have a team-wide effort to, to support that as opposed to just isolating those two reps, right? So an example of that might be like cold call openers. And she'll say, all right, everybody, we're working on our cold call openers this afternoon. Let's spend the next 30 minutes having the same exact opener. And then we're going to practice it over the next hour on a call blitz, right? So summarizing, how do you keep an SDR? Number one is compensation, making sure it's realistic within their control, maps to the charter of their team. Number two Promotion, so uh, not just promoting them for the sake of promoting them, but developing them and being open and honest about how you can help them develop skills. Number three, recognition. And number four, fun fun on the job. Fun on the job. (laughs) I love it. Those are super helpful. And, and you know, what was cool about that, those, as you mentioned, they don't cost a lot. I mean, it's just a little bit more effort. And I, I think back to a sales leader that I had a few years ago that he was very he was very stingy with any recognition or like attaboy cheer you know cheer cheery of people and it's just like why i mean it doesn't cost anything and it's just an it, you know it, it makes life more fun for someone doing a very tough job yep you know I could not yeah, absolutely well these have been so helpful dan i i mean this is these are the problems that we face as an industry right now but we got some tangible tips that people could take away i want to talk about if they want to get in touch with you learn more about what you do and then also you guys have a big summit coming up in the spring tell us more about how do we get in touch with you and the summit that you got coming up awesome if you want to get in touch with me find me on linkedin first uh, dan gottlieb 
and you know at topo there's only one of me uh, at topo <laughs> yep. and then that please please do hit me up on linkedin i'd be more than happy to, to to talk or answer any questions that anybody has and then yes thank you we have a kick-ass event in april april 17th and 18th at uh, pier 27 in san francisco it is a killer event. We have practitioners only that are talking through the problems that they face in the job. They want tangible solutions to those, to those problems that they've, that they've uh, implemented in the past. Um, really hands-on and practical stuff to take away. It's a really good time, excellent networking. And if you're interested, please email events at topohq.com and say, Dan sent me here in the subject line. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. And I got to say, I've been to every Topo. It never fails to impress. Like Dan said, it's very hands-on, very practical, awesome networking. And if you are in our space, if you're in the sales development space, you really have got to be there. So full endorsement. Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show and for being on the, the Sales Development Podcast. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. I, I would love to come back and do it again. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.